0: Hey Mount family, I'm Andy, the creative arts pastor here at the Mount. I want to thank you for joining us online today. Some of you are regular online attendees, but some of you may be joining our online community for the first time today because of concerns with the spread of the coronavirus. In this season, the Mount's aim is to create a healthy environment for all of us to worship and to grow. And whether it's through our online campus or at one of our locations, we trust that God will lead his church. Guys, we walk with the spirit of confidence and not in fear, knowing he is with us. Be sure to stay connected for a moment at the end of the message today, specifically for you guys, our online community. Now let's get our hearts prepared for worship today. Good morning, church.
1: I am so thankful that churches all across the nation and specifically here at the Mount are able to gather virtually when circumstance dictates that we cannot gather physically. Uh, Make no mistake, I miss all of you this morning. This is a first for me. I am preaching to about 800 empty seats, uh, but I'm glad to be with you. And I'm glad we have this technology because I think isolation would be the sin here. The fact that we can all gather virtually and be together and still praise our Savior and recognize He is in control and recognize He is King is such a blessing. And I hope the Word of God that we have here today is a blessing to you as well. Uh, Before we dig in, I wanted to also say how encouraged I've been scrolling through my social media timeline. I see all these posts about, hey, if you need food, come here. Hey, if a school is the only meal you get, come see me. We have food. I see, hey, if you're elderly, I'll shop for you. I'll do this for you. And I think that is beautiful because we as a people of God, that's what we're called to do. And that's what we're called to be. We were unified as a family for such a time as this. Uh, My wife always has this question she brings out in difficult circumstances. She asks, but did it change your purpose? but did it change the reason that you are here? And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the answer is a resounding no. We are called to bring light to dark places. We are called to be the light in the dark. And guys, the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. The darker it gets, the more the people search for light. So let us be about our father's business. Let us be checking on the most vulnerable. Let us be calling our elderly, making sure they're okay. Let us be calling our food pantries and things of that nature to make sure they have the necessities so the most vulnerable in our communities can still have the necessities that they desire and need. Let us be calling our small business owners, our event-based small business owners at this time, who are probably stressed beyond belief, wondering how they're going to feed their families. Let us see what they need. And while they might have to worry about their business, let them not worry about who loves them and let them not worry about who they're going to eat and how they're going to eat. Not who they're going to eat. That would be weird. (laughs) How they're going to eat. Definitely how. With that said, I understand the tension of the times, but we are the people of God. We are the light bearers. We're so often known for what we're against. Let us be known for who we're for. Let us not be found huddled around mountains of toilet papers and castles of canned soup. Let us be found with open hearts and open hands, serving the needs of our community. Let us have the attitude that is exactly of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead humbled himself becoming a servant. Walked this rock and ultimately lived the last three years of his life homeless before he was murdered. He reached out to us when we were in our most vulnerable. And we who are the family of God, we who are brothers and sisters, let us be found doing the same. Because my brothers and sisters, this too shall pass. And when it does, let us have the reputation of loving our communities in the same way that our Father loves us. With that said, let's pray real quick before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a good God. We thank you for being a sovereign God who is in absolute control. We thank you for giving peace where there is worry. And we thank you that no matter what comes and what happens, our eternity is settled on Calvary. As we give these words and as we read the scriptures, please let them be powered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Please let me get out of the way and let the people that need to hear you hear you loudly and clearly. We ask these things by the power of the Holy Spirit in your son's name. Amen. So for those of you that are crafty Mount Ararat veterans, you have probably noticed that I am not Pastor Todd Gaston. I am, in fact, Jason Windsor. I have served here at the Mount as one of the student pastors for roughly two and a half years. And when I say it out loud, i got to be honest, it sounds a lot longer than it feels. It feels like just yesterday we backed that U-Haul up and took all of the stuff out of it in the snow and put it into our house. And Stafford's been really, really good to us. Uh, We as a family are so glad we answered God's call to move here and serve the Stafford community. My lovely wife, Erin, works out in the coffee bar outside these walls. She manages that and serves with a bunch of fantastic ladies. Does an excellent job. Chances are, if you serve in any of our students' or kids' environments, you have encountered a Windsor child. Uh, We have one in high school, we have one in middle school, we have two in elementary school and one in preschool. If you're unsure of who they are, they usually have bright blue eyes and bubbling personalities. That is the characteristic of a Windsor child. Uh, My prayer for us this morning is that God speaks as clearly to you as he did to us when he called us to move here, and you're as blessed by answering his call as we were when we did. So with all of that said, I still, as I said, I am a student pastor. So we're gonna play a game before we get to the scripture because I am contractually obligated by the union of student pastors to play a game at every gathering. And it's not online. I read the section. There is not a clause that opts out online. So we're gonna play a game. It's gonna be straightforward. It's gonna be super simple. I'm gonna show you a picture and you're gonna tell me what that's a picture of. Super simple, right? So here we go. Let's take a look at that pic. Yeah. There it is. That is a pick. If a picture is worth a thousand words, that one is worth two million. That is obviously a picture of a wedding. More specifically, that's a picture of my wedding. If you had said at home, if you had said, that's the picture of a beautiful lady marrying a fool, I would have taken that as well. Uh, I that's a wonderful beautiful woman right there and I am very lucky to have her if you would have said the best day of his life I would have answer I would have accepted that answer as well but I didn't need to explain to you that was a wedding you saw the dress you saw the bouquet you saw the tux and wedding was probably the first thing that came to your mind because wedding is pervasive in this culture Depending on where you read, roughly 87% of us will be married at least once. And that's how culturally pervasive our concept of wedding is. We have seen them. We have been in them. We will be in them. But it's not only our weddings that we are obsessed with. We are obsessed with other people's weddings. I looked for some facts and figures on how many people watched the last royal wedding. And I stopped. One newspaper said over a billion people watched, and I couldn't get my mind around that number. I stopped and I started doing some research because I don't have a category for one billion people watching anything, much less a wedding between two people that almost none of them know. So I start digging up, it's like, well, 29 people watched in America. Well, 24 people watched in England. Well, 22 million people watched in Germany. And there's all these figures. And then I realized I'd spent about two hours of my life researching how many people had watched the royal wedding. And all of a sudden I felt foolish and wanted that two hours of my life back. So suffice it to say, a lot of people watched a wedding at a weird time of the day for the vast majority of us and were just encapsulated and enthralled by that moment because we know that a wedding is a huge moment. We know that two people will go in as individuals and will leave as a family, and it's a miracle. But I'm gonna contend that even the royal wedding had absolutely nothing on the wedding that I'm about to show you right now. Take a look at this pic and see if you can recognize these two people. Yes, that is correct. That is the beautiful Pam Gaston and our lead pastor, Todd Gaston. And I wanna draw, I don't know if they'll put it back up again or not, but I wanna draw attention to my pastor's eyes. Do you see a little mischief in there? You see a little cat that ate the canary in there? Because I know that man is thinking the same thing I was thinking on my wedding day. Ladies and gentlemen, I have outkicked my coverage. Look and feast, because I have done the impossible! I've done amazing things because I have Miss Pam by my side. I want to draw attention to something too. Good taste is not limited by time and space. You notice Pastor Todd and I have roughly the same haircut in our wedding pictures. I'll let you roll back through on on subsequent versions of this and you you can take notice. We got it going on. You may be asking, why have you wasted the last five minutes of my life walking me through three weddings? Yours, the royal families, and Pastor Todd Gaston. Well, it's all just a trick because I wanted to put Todd's wedding picture up there. It really has nothing to do with the mess. No, I'm just kidding. I want you to remember everything you know about weddings so that you can absolutely discard it, so that you can throw it out of your mind. I want you to take all the procession down the aisle, the ring, the vows, the party afterwards, the officiant. I want you to take everything you know about 21st century weddings and completely discard it because the passage we're going to look at has to do with a wedding and a marriage. And if we look at it with our American eyes, if we look at it through our lens, we will miss the richness that the text delivers. We will miss the lesson that God has for us. And it's a very important lesson because the parable we're going to look at starts off with, for the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's God's intention to give us a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is like, to give us a glimpse of what our eternal life will look like, to give us a glimpse of the character of Jesus Christ. And we'll miss the fullness of that if we look at it with our American eyes. We need to have at least a basic understanding of first century Jewish weddings in order to grasp what our Savior has for us today. So with that said, we're going to take a crash course in first century Jewish wedding custom. This would start with what is called the arrangement. Now, what happens during the arrangement period is very simple. Arrangements are made. So the groom would send an ambassador or someone from his house, and they would go to the prospective bride's house, and they sit down with the bride's father, and they would negotiate a price. They would negotiate uh, what it was going to take for these two families to become one family. After that negotiation was concluded, the bride would be called into the room and she would have a chance to say, yes, this is a good deal for me, or no, this is not a good deal for me. Now, the vast majority of brides said yes, because you did not know if another offer was coming. You did not know when if the other offer was coming. And so the vast majority of brides took it up on this, and then a contract was drafted. This contract clearly spelled out the price that was to be paid and the groom's responsibilities to the bride. After the contract was signed, the price would be handed over, and it was considered a gift to the the bride's family, but ultimately it would become the bride's, and these would be the possessions or, or these would be the things or the monetary value that she would take into the marriage. This would become the bride's, and she would wear that as a sign to say, I am spoken for. I am no longer just me. It is now us. And after this contract was signed and the price had been paid, the groom would come out and he would announce publicly, it is finished, the price has been paid. Now, for those of you that language seems very familiar to, you know the crucifixion story, and you know this is the words that Jesus said with his last breath. He cried out, it, has, it is finished, and we know that the price has been paid. This is where we're going to live, in this tension between first century Jewish custom and Jesus walking us through the salvation plan. Because when he cried out, it is finished, he was also crying out, I have done what I have needed to, to bring you who were apart from me, to me. And so having concluded, having shouted out, it is finished, that concluded the arrangement period, and we would now enter the betrothal period. And our temptation here is to consider the betrothal period roughly the same as our engagement. But honestly, nothing could be farther from the truth. The betrothal period for a Jewish wedding was very defined. At this point, the the groom would say to his bride, I am now leaving. And they would be separated for roughly a year, saying, I am now going to prepare a place for you. And he would go back to his father's house, and the place that he would prepare would be an addition onto his father's home. And this whole process would take roughly a year. And while he was building that, the father would be inspecting it, And the bride would be about her business, which is sewing the garments and keeping the lamps ready for his return. Now, some of you, again, may have noticed this is language that Jesus used. In John chapter 14, he clearly says, it is good that I leave because I'm going to prepare a place for you. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. We see the parallels very clearly. We also see the parallel in that nobody knew the day that the groom would return, with the exception of the father of the groom. Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 24 when he says, No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. Only the father knows. So the groom would say goodbye to his bride, they would not see each other for a year, and while he worked on his house, the bride would busy herself thanking her family for raising her, sewing the wedding garments, and keeping the lamp and the bridal party at the ready. Because she didn't know the day he was coming back, but she knew it would be roughly a year, and so this would continue, and they would fulfill their responsibilities until they got to the day of the procession, where the groom's father would give the okay where he would say, yes, you have adequately prepared the place for your bride. Now you can go get her. And the wedding procession would start down the street. The groom's party would start down the street and a runner would go out ahead of him. And he would say, behold, the groom is coming. Behold, this is about to happen. And I can imagine the anticipation as as a long awaited day arrives And and the bride would light the lamp and the groom would go get his bride and they would walk back into the house, victorious and triumphant, and the wedding would begin and it would kick off the party to end all parties. Some of these things would last seven days as these two families were joined and as this moment of anticipation came to fruition. And that's kind of the walkthrough, that's the basics. That is in no way a complete treatment, but that is the basics of what we need to know to understand this passage. That arrangements were made, that a price was paid, that the responsibility of the groom was to go prepare a place and he would come back at an hour unknown to the bride, always at night, and he would gather up the bride and the bridal party, take back to his house where a wild wedding feast full of celebration and laughter and joy would ensue. And this is all painted for us in Jesus' life throughout scripture. And that's where we pick up our scripture today. In Matthew 25, verse 1, Jesus teaches the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And I want to pause right there because I don't want to gloss over that and have us feel that it's unimportant, the subject matter that we're treating today. The kingdom of heaven is an amazing concept all throughout scripture where Jesus announces his presence and says the kingdom of heaven is here. It's in the most famous prayer that we pray, the Lord's Prayer. It says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, if we're praying for the kingdom to come, we ought to know what it, that kingdom entails. We ought to know what it is that we're praying for. As the children came up to Jesus, the disciples tried to stop them. And Jesus said, Don't stop them from coming up. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This is, this is a huge concept. If the kingdom of heaven belongs to people with childlike faith, if the kingdom of heaven is where we'll spend eternity, if the kingdom of heaven is important enough that Jesus gives multiple parables teaching the kingdom of heaven, it's imperative that we give the concept due diligence and open our scriptures and take this subject matter seriously. So let's dig in. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all fell drowsy and asleep. So we see, having just learned about Jewish custom, we are squarely in the betrothal period, but not just any place in the betrothal period. The negotiations have ceased. The price has been paid. It has finished, has been declared. There's a long period of waiting and now we see them at the ready. So we can reasonably assume the year of preparation is coming to its end and now the bridesmaids are ready to go and Jesus paints the picture that not all of them are ready to go. He says five, the wise are prepared. They have extra oil. They have flasks of oil. They're ready for whatever comes. But the other five have kind of left the encounter to chance. They have a lamp. They've heard the bridegroom is coming, but they are unprepared for his arrival. They have not reflected on the seriousness of the matter. I want you to, to kind of put yourself in this position for a second. On your wedding day, do you prefer your significant other to be anxiously prepared in anticipation, or do you prefer them to be very cavalier about the proceedings? I think man-to-man, woman-to-woman, we want our significant other to recognize the magnificence and the significance of this moment. It speaks volumes about the way the ones that are prepared view this moment and the way the ones that are not prepared view this moment. And that's going to come into full relief very soon. The scripture continues. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish one asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough oil for all of us, go and shop and buy some for yourselves. So here it is, the time has come. Can you imagine the anticipation? Like, can you imagine it? Like, there's a lot of tension around our wedding days. And in most cases, we had a rehearsal dinner the night before, we saw our beloved, we saw the one that we will spend our special day with fewer than 24 hours before. In some cases, these two had not seen their beloved in over a year. Can you imagine all the questions? What's the house look like? Are we gonna have children right away? How is it gonna be living with each other? What's he gonna look like when he comes? What's she gonna look like when, when it comes? What's it all gonna go down? Put yourself in this, this is a moment. And I believe the realization that the moment is finally upon them shocks the five unprepared bridesmaids into action. And with the serious of the moment crashing down upon them, they all go, uh-oh, we have not taken this year and spent it wisely. We have now been found unprepared. And when the groom comes, he's gonna realize we're not that into him. We have a lamp. So, and we've obviously heard he's coming. But we have no fire in our lamp. We have not done our preparations. And that is about to be revealed. And in their panic, they reach out to those that have prepared and go, hey, give us your oil. And those that have prepared, those that see the significance of the situation, those that see the moment crashing down upon them are like, oh, no way. I have, There is no chance I am giving up that moment. There is no chance that I'm going to risk missing this moment. I have waited in anticipation for at least a year. And those of you that are looking forward to your wedding days right now know in most cases, people look forward to their wedding days much longer than a year. There is no way I am going to risk my significant other showing up and finding me unprepared and feel like I'm just not that into him or I'm not that into her. There's no way this is happening. You guys need to walk yourself down to the store like you should have done last year, get some oil and be ready for this moment. Guys, that's a concept I think we can all relate to. Nobody wants to see their significant other walking down that aisle unprepared. Everybody wants to feel loved and cared for and the significance of this moment. And I think you already know what's about to happen. The five go away to get more oil. And when they come back, here's what they hear. But while they were out to get oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. We all saw this coming. While they're out getting the preparations that they should have been making throughout the entire betrothal period, while they're out getting their oil, while they finally see the significance of the moment, the bridegroom comes, he gathers those that were ready, and he takes them into the wedding feast. Because the betrothal period is over, and now the marriage feast has begun. This is no longer the two separate entities, one but living apart, because in the agreement, in the arrangement, once that contract is signed, the two are legally one. It now takes a divorce to separate those two after the arrangement. They just haven't taken up residence with one another yet. But now this is the moment where they're taking up residence, one with the other, and the five who were prepared, the five who had the fire, The five who gave the moment, what it was due, go on to the wedding feast, and the five who failed to do that are left out, and they knock on the door, and they say, Lord, Lord, please let us into this wedding feast. Please, we have the oil now. We're ready. Let us come in and celebrate this wedding with you. And this is what the bridegroom says. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you, not you should have brought more oil. Not, you should have been prepared. He says, believe me, I don't know you. I'm not married to you. I'm married to the people in here. This is my wedding feast. And since I don't know you, you're not welcome to be a part. Sounds super harsh. Not really congruent with what we always hear about the kingdom of heaven. It's not streets of gold. It's not milk and honey. It's not everlasting peace. But nevertheless, this marriage feast is a fundamental teaching of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And right now, hopefully, you're coming to the realization that half of them are in and half of them are out. And Jesus himself finishes with this teaching when he says, So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day nor the hour of my return. So what we have here. And what we have all throughout Scripture is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. One group is in, one group really wants to get in, but has missed the moment. I'm going to tell you the key difference between the two groups it's simpler than what you think it is, but it's no less profound. One group sees Jesus as who he truly is, the Alpha and the Omega, the being through which all other beings have their existence, the Prince of Peace, the greatest good that has ever existed and will ever exist. This group of people is sometimes moved to tears when they think about the goodness that he brings and when they think about what they'll enjoy in the wedding feast. The other group is attempting to work him into their lives. They have the lamp. They know that he's coming one day. But they don't know him. Because if they knew him, they would be prepared. This concept of the kingdom of heaven as Jesus as Alpha Omega, as Jesus as the most important thing that has ever existed, as Jesus as the foundation on which we plant our feet, as the the beginning and end of all things, as the greatest good that has ever existed, is pervasive throughout scripture. Another parable says the kingdom of heaven is like this. A merchant was out shopping, happened upon a pearl. He sold everything he could to get that pearl. That pearl is Jesus. Though you have everything you need, though you have a lamp, if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. Another parable says, it came upon a field. And in that field, there was a treasure. And the man went back and he sold everything he had to buy that field because the treasure was worth more than everything that he had. And that treasure, my friends, is Jesus. That treasure is Jesus. So though you have everything, without Jesus, we have nothing. You may have bought Target out of every roll of toilet paper in the house. Without Jesus, you have nothing. And that is the key difference between these two groups. One of them sees Jesus as savior. One of them realized when he cried out, it is finished, it was done. The price has been paid and we now, the arrangement has been made that we can be joined to our savior. And right now, my friends, we are in the betrothal period. Those of us who know that Jesus is king and savior, we are anxiously awaiting for his return but there are some that do not. Jesus says in Matthew seven, on this day, when I return, some will say, Lord, Lord, we did amazing things in your name, but I will say, depart from me because I never knew you. And so our fundamental question, and this is the power of parables, it leads us to this. The fundamental difference between the two groups is one sees Jesus as he truly is and is anxiously awaiting his return about their responsibilities in the betrothal period of which we have responsibilities, brothers and sisters. When he returns, will he find us about those responsibilities? Or when he finds, will he find us that we were bothered with other things, that the weeds of this life had choked out our purest devotion to him, that we had no fire in our lamp, that we had the appearance of religion, that we had the appearance of knowing who he was without the actual relationship. Guys, do you know Jesus and does Jesus know you? Leads us to the question, which group are you in? Do you have the appearance of religion? Do you have the appearance of a relationship? Are you in the bridal party because you know he's coming back? but there's no fire in your lamp? Have you created a Jesus that you worship rather than worshiping the true Jesus as he is? If so, this parable was written to usher you into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. So that you would throw down the fake Jesus and you would lift up the real Jesus. And you would say this morning, I worship you as you are And I understand, and my friends, this is a revelation. What you need right now is a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You don't need more information. You need a revelation of the goodness that is in Jesus Christ. Are you in the group that would say, my fire is burning bright. I am about my father's business, anxiously awaiting his return? If so, that's amazing. It's amazing that the miracle of salvation has come to you and you're using the betrothal period wisely to serve the vulnerable and make sure other people know who he is. I wonder if there's maybe a third group among us today that has the light lit, but has covered it up with fear. I wonder if you know the goodness that is Jesus Christ, but you're afraid of what it will cost you to actually center your existence upon him. I wonder if you have that light burning bright, but you've covered it up until you hear the bridegroom comes, at which point you'll release the light. And at which point you will be known and you will enter into the feast. But you will have hid that light from all the other men and women you encounter during the betrothal period. If that's you, I wanna encourage you to do business with the Father today. I want you to pray, God, please, please reveal to me you as you actually are. Let me uncover my lamp and let me be about the business you have given me in this betrothal period, Lord. Let me love you the way you love me and let other people see my good works and glorify you as a result. For those of you that in the course of this scripture have identified with a group that didn't make it in, that you're saying, I know Jesus, but I don't have a relationship with him. Today's the day. There is no advantage in delay. Acknowledge that because of the wrong that you have done, you stand correctly judged by God. And acknowledge that when Jesus descended from heaven, paid the price for our sin up on that cross and yelled, it is finished, he paid the price for you and me and he to be joined. He made us a family. And when he rose back out of that grave and conquered death, he made sure the betrothal period would come to an end and that we would spend life together in eternity. Acknowledge that before him today and light that lamp so that we can all be with one another in this great marriage feast. Let's pray before we close out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a good God. We thank you that at great cost to yourself and at no cost to us, you were our price on that cross. And that when you yelled, it is finished, we could be joined to you. I ask that we who know you spend this betrothal period wisely lamps lit, hearts on fire, drawing those to you that don't know you, serving those that are vulnerable in our communities. And I ask that we are excited that our lives have not been filled with meaningless things and you're just one more inconvenience that we work in, but we are excited to see the day that you come get us for that wedding feast. I ask that we use the time that you are gone away preparing a place for us wisely. And that when you come back, you find us about your Father's business. I ask these things by the power of your Holy Spirit and in your Son's name,
0: amen. Hey guys, I know there's a lot happening in our world that could be on your heart or weighing on your mind. If the message today led you to make a decision for Christ, I want to personally make sure you receive the Mount Decision Bible and know the next steps to take. Church, I want you to know that the Mount is here for you please connect with us right here in the chat to let us know how we can pray and support you. And before you go, please remember to take an important step in our worship, to give. Although we may not be gathered at the Mount today, we continue to worship God with our tithes and use his provision to make a difference to our world. Please be certain to follow us on social media and keep an eye out for email updates from the Mount. Thank you for joining us, now go and be the church.